0: Verses 3-25. through Let me read those and then we'll double back and go through it verse by verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him hope, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, uh, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, though grass withers and the flower falls off. But the Word of the Lord abides forever, and this is the Word which was preached to you. <clears throat> last time I had a fly, I must be wrong, it was the last time I had a fly like this was in Wilmington in 1969. Okay, so. Okay, yeah, everyone on the tape doesn't uh, see me, but uh, there's a fly buzzing around my head. And that thunder wasn't the thunder, that was the sides of the building coming down. <laughs> I, I, they are movable sides, like garage doors, okay? Okay, um, to use another poor analogy, you know, have you ever had an overflowing toilet? Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did warp. Okay? Um the rhyme of the ancient toilet. Okay. Uh when you have an abundance of things, right, you don't know where to put them. You know, to use a better picture, the Lord says in, in John seven, you know, those that are filled with the Holy Spirit will be like rivers of liver water coming out of your belly, just flowing. That's we ought to be rejoicing, as I said last hour. And this whole first chapter is about that. I mean, Peter is not dishonest and manipulating, but he's trying to encourage us. And he's saying, you've got such a great salvation. So when you go into suffering, you need to remember one of the first things is that you, you really have such a fantastic gift from God that in spite of the suffering, it's worth it. It's worth it. Well, let's look at this. First of all, God's really blessed you and me. Verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for of salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. God really, really has blessed us. And we should... We should be praising God because He's so merciful. Really think about it. Not only has God chosen us, but look who He's chosen. He's chosen wicked, self-centered, stubborn people. It wasn't like God picked some sort of nice person or even the best of a bad lot. He, he, he's picked people and He's mercied us He's mercied us. He's given us tremendous mercy. Well, the first thing that Peter points out is what? You were caused to be born again. Now, it's amazing that people keep thinking born again, and most of our you know, friend, Christian friends think of being born again as going forward or making a decision for Christ. That's wrong. God caused you to be born again just like you didn't cause yourself to be born the first time. Didn't have any choice. You know, nobody asked you. You weren't some pre existent soul hanging up on a clothesline in heaven. So Where well, would you like to be born? Okay? Oh, so you're getting flies too. Good. <laughs> Send the flies over to the to the people over there. Okay. God, God has caused us to be born again. The word of God comes. The Holy Spirit makes that work, John three, in our lives. And and you know, Peter points that out to a living hope. Now, it's interesting. What's the source of that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The source of your being born again, my being born again, is the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead and sends the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you couldn't be born again. So, first of all, the fact that you're even alive, awake today, you know, if you're a Christian, is that God's made you one, and then what does He give you? Well, there's a wonderful promise here, okay? You've got a living hope. Now notice the theme. What is one of the things that gets, I don't know, at least to me, when you're under persecution or, or problems? You lose hope, right? You want to give up. And the worst thing comes, I might die. Isn't that, Isn't that the worst thing? I mean, Jesus said to the disciples, don't fear them that can kill the body. What are you kidding? Jesus? (laughs) Kill the body. (laughs) I don't like to go to the dentist. (laughs) I don't like the word hospital. I like to visit people in the hospital. As a pastor, I don't like to be in one, right? And he tells me, don't be afraid of people that will kill the body because that's all they can do. That's all they can do, right? Just kill the body. He says, I'll tell you to fear After he's killed the body, he can throw body and soul into hell forever. You fear God. So the problem is that that under persecution, under pressure, we often give up. And so look at the words. There's living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain what? Now here's the great deal. You can't lose as a Christian. Why? Because you've got an inheritance that can't be corrupted. And you're protected. Okay, so what happens when you have a lot of money? You're afraid somebody might what? Steal it, right? And you go up there. I, you know me. I'm weird, so I like to bug people. I walk into the to the bank, and bank tellers, <laughs> come on, there it says right there, right? Did anyone ever do this to you, Tara? They come up and say, "Do you really mean that?" FDIC protected and guaranteed by the U.S. government. I said, who are you kidding? They're going to go bankrupt in three years and they're trying to guarantee my money. All the tellers look at me like I'm crazy. That's supposed to encourage me, you know, that that's what they're going to do with my money, right? So uh, we're, we're going through it now. Our bank got sold. They didn't ask me. And I just went out and got a bunch of stacks, pro-life checks, right, and spent all that money on these checks and then they sell the bank, and now I gotta, you know, get rid of those. I can't, can't even trust your bank these days. You know, who's absconding with who, or whatever. You know. Do the I? The what? what are they doing? That they need yeah, what is insurance? It's, so, so you see, today, of course, we've been spoiled so long in the United States, right? It's been a fairly stable country. a stable e- economy it goes up and down, but it's been fairly stable. And we really expect that when you go to the bank, I'm too young. I didn't live through the Great Depression. I didn't live on those runs through the bank. You know, the closest I've ever seen on a run in the bank is Mary Poppins. You know, <laughs> Tuppence, Tuppence a bag. You know what I mean? And sure, a, oh, Tuppence, Tuppence. You know, yeah. <laughs> and off they go. And there's this big crash in the bank. Okay, um, you know, we're not used to that. But in this ancient world. You know, things were pretty unstable. And and when you deposit something, it might not be there. And what Peter is saying is, Don't you understand? Your inheritance can't be corrupted. It's up in heaven where rust doesn't get to it and moth doesn't devour it and it won't corrode. Why? Because he doesn't say it here, but what's our inheritance? What is our real inheritance? Eternal life. And what is eternal life? John 17. Salvation, yeah, but particularly Jesus says in the high priestly prayer, to know you, the living God, and Jesus whom you've sent. See, the treasure is God. God can't be corrupted. So here's this treasure reserved for us in heaven. You say, but wait a minute, I might die and not get there. Okay, so so it's a guaranteed inheritance, but what about the inheritor? You know, I might get wiped out. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about, isn't it? Satan's got two, two chief tactics. If you want to boil the book of Revelation down, on that side, Satan tries to deceive you with false religion and philosophy. If that doesn't work, he takes out the brass knuckles and he starts to kill you. Those are the two great... Great tactics of Satan. And Peter says, look, you've got this inheritance that can't be corrupted, it won't fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you. Yeah, Ms. Frank, if I'm dead, I can't get it. Oh no. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You see, the hope is the first, it's the cord. That, that Peter strikes at the beginning of the book. A living hope. A living hope that can't be killed, it can't be squashed, it can't be taken away. Boy, oh boy, we have really been blessed, haven't we? You may be poor. You know, your car may break down on the way home. Some of you look like you expected to. Okay? Some of our brethren are still not here yet because the car broke down on the way up. It can't go wrong. I mean, that, you know, boy, we are blessed. Not protected by the FDIC, but by the triune God. Well, okay, so if we've been really blessed, we should rejoice. Verses 6 through 12. And Peter says, Look, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. "...that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory." There's the overflowing. Inexpressible joy and overflowing obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeing, uh, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been Uh, announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Powerful joy, beloved. When we come up to suffering, there there are things, the salvation that we have should cause us to rejoice because the suffering is temporary. That's something that Peter's going to hit back uh, later in chapter 5. It's temporary. Or as Paul put it, this temporary suffering, the eternal weight of glory. You can't compare it. Put them on the scales, you just can't compare them. Now, what is the, what's the problem? Uh, it, it seems like it won't end, right? It seems like it'll go on forever and ever and ever. I've been told this. I don't know whether it's true. The stats say people, most people die in the hospital proportionately about between three and 6 a.m. because the night gets long and the body even physically begins to shut down a bit and it's very difficult to believe the morning will ever come. Very, very difficult. Um, Not a great uh, content man, but Tony Campolo, definitely not a great content man these days, uh, but uh, said, uh, it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. There's the name, title of a book, and, and a preaching, uh, sermon on that, and that's a good way of. Putting it. It's Friday, you know, you've run out of gas, but the point is, Sunday's coming, resurrection's coming. The sufferings that you go through will not be forever. And in the midst of this, you have to step back and get God's. What's God doing to you? He's sanctifying you and he's testing your faith. He's burning off the dross. Any person who refines gold or ever precious metals has to go through that process. When you go into the military, okay? You're not immediately, you know, set for everything. They try to burn the fat off of you and everything else and get you in battle-ready condition by pounding you through basics. Right? And you don't know what that raw recruit's going to be like until he gets through basic. And God is is you know, God already knows the outcome. But in, in one picture, he is burning off the dross. And he says, Look, your faith is precious. Look at your faith like gold. Even gold has to be refined. And that's what God is doing. You don't like it, do you? Oh, I hate it when the heat gets turned up. Okay, you don't like it. But you know, and again cheap examples in some ways, but you know, no pain, no gain. You know, you've seen the shirt. You can't become strong athletically if you don't go through the effort. And the way God has set up the world and has set us up, we can't become godly people like that. You want it, don't you? You want fast food and you want fast sanctification. Be honest, aren't you? You're an American. (laughs) And you want a McDonald's or an Arby's of holiness. You know, where you can go through and you can grab it real quick and you can (laughs) slurp it down and boom. Ta-da! I am now like Jesus. And it does not work that way. It does not work that way. Now, as much as you might like ragu and prego, there's nothing like that sauce that's been stirred over, over, you know, and over and over again. Can't can't compare. See, and if you want to be like Jesus Christ, really, you got to go through the suffering, and, and, and we don't like it. Okay, uh, and then he says, "Look, you love Jesus. Why? Look what he did for you. It was his death, his resurrection, that caused you to be born again to this living hope. You'd be." dead in your trespasses and sin. And even though you don't see Him, come here, Thomas. Put put your fingers here. Come on. Don't doubt, believe. You believe because you see. Blessed are those that do not see and yet they believe. And that's what Peter's reflecting on. You've never laid eyes on Jesus. You've never seen Him. But you rejoice and you love Him can you imagine how stupid we seem to the world? Loving a guy that you have never met, never seen, who died and was supposedly raised again 1,900 years ago? But that's the Gospel. you know. And we ought to be going, Yes! You know, every day we get up going, Yes! I've got a living hope. I've got a hope that can't be killed. I've got a treasure that can't be taken away and corrupted. And nobody can kill me. Nobody can take me away as long as I rest in the Savior. Boy, that's something to rejoice in. And then he adds that little thing, 10 through 12, about, you know, by the way, this salvation that you're experiencing, that's what the prophets were all talking about. And you have this picture of the prophets, you know, almost looking inside himself, going, okay, Holy Spirit, you know, Spirit of Christ. What is it? Who is it? What's He going to look like? When's He going to come? Where's He going to be? They were curious. And the angels, He says, even the angels want to look into these things. See, we take it for granted. You know? I I can almost put it this way. The angels are leaning over heaven's balconies, drooling over this. You see? Because even though they praise God and see Him in a way we don't, do you know they've never tasted of salvation? God never chose to save angels. Didn't elect any angels. chose angels to fall, and he chose some angels not to fall into corruption, but every one of us has fallen and every one of us has been saved. And that salvation <laughs> profits and apostles. I'm not going charismatic, it's just the fly. <laughs> I can, I can clap my hands, that's okay. Okay. The 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 salvation is so great that we ought to rejoice. Now when your friends come over and your neighbors come over, what do you take out? Eh, it's okay to take out family albums, you know, show them all the grandkids, you know, all the precious treasures, and that's good. But you know, we ought to really be taking out and telling them what God's done in our lives. Let me ask you this. How many of you, how many of your parents, raise your hands, okay? How many of your kids know the story of your conversion? Raise your hands. Why? Wow, there only three or four. See, not many. Well, why, why don't those kids know how you got saved? One of the things astounded me when I went to Harmony, New Jersey, as wonderful as it was, and I had great elders. Do you know that not one of them knew how the other guy became a Christian? Some of them had been elders together 10, 15 years. Beloved, I don't want to go back to being a fundie, but I think we ought to do more with testimonies I'm really serious. I mean, has, has, has God ceased to exist since 1936 when the OPC started? Has He done nothing since Machen? I mean, has something happened? Yes. People ought to know how. Now, I've seen some churches that when you join, you've got to give your testimony. You know, everybody knows how you became a Christian. Okay, so our stories are going to be different than some of the general run-of-the-mill. But you know, we ought to think about. See, God has greatly blessed us and we should be so thrilled with this that we can't wait to tell people. We can't wait to tell people what God's done for us. We've got this great salvation. We've got this great salvation. Okay, thirdly, if, and we do have this great salvation, and you should rejoice in it, what result? You ought to be fighting to be holy. You ought to be fighting to be holy. So since God has given you such wonderful salvation, and you ought to be learning, even under suffering, to rejoice in it, then you ought to get a battle mentality. Now remember, the whole book's about suffering. One of the key issues in any military uh, warfare, whether it's air, naval, land, or whatever, is the whole issue of surprise. And later Peter will say it. Don't be surprised by the fire ordeal that you're coming under. Peter then begins to use this analogy, verse 13. Look at verse 13 through 21. Therefore, gird up your minds for action. I want to say it first before I read the whole thing. Girding up your mind for action. Remember, in in ancient times, men would often wear togas, where the Jews themselves particularly would wear long robes. And when you fight, you don't want your feet tripped up, right? And so there would be a belt. And what they would do would take these long skirts and robes and tuck them in. That's what he's using. That's the picture, the metaphor. Gird up your minds for action. And the first thing that you're going to have to do if you're going to battle to be holy, and you've got to be holy to make it through persecution. Let's face it, you know that you got to be thinking like Christ. You've got to be responding like Christ. You have to be ready. In any military war, uh, conduct, if you are caught unprepared, okay? why was the attack on Pearl Harbor so devastating in World War II? It was a surprise attack. It was not expected. It was not prepared for. It came at a time on Sunday when people were at church or other places. See, the enemy will get you if you're not prepared. So the preparation. Gird up your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it's written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father, the One who impartially judges according to each man's work, Conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So you must live, beloved, battle ready. Will you please get through your heads and hearts? Satan will not give you a vacation. Now, we're up here at family camp and we look at this as a vacation, don't we? But the reality is, cars break down on the way up. You know, a bear may step on your tent and knock it down. Okay? And your kids... You know, they may not act right. Okay? Or your parents may embarrass you. <laughs> okay? The fact of the matter is, <clears throat> there's no, do you understand, there's really no ultimate peace till heaven. Please, let me bug it out of you. I'm almost 50 years old. Some say, hey, just a little kid. Well, I'm getting up there. Okay, I'm getting up there. And guess what? It just started to dawn on me There's never going to be real peace. I have been looking, I think, deep in my heart to get somewhere where finally I won't be under attack. It's not going to happen, beloved. It's not going to happen. And I've been sitting at the wheel expecting peace, and it won't come. I've got to be ready. Please understand that Satan will not give you rest. You've got to be battle ready. Okay? So this comes with what? How do you become battle ready? Getting like God. Becoming holy. Be holy as I am holy. Okay? Uh, Fix your hope completely on the grace. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe that part of the problem for me as a Reformed Christian has finally understood that Bible reading and prayer isn't the only thing going. All of life needs to be for the Lord. You can get so caught up in all of life you can get so caught up in all of life that you forget that we're still to fix our hope completely on the appearance of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> okay? No matter what your millennial position is, I believe the gospel is going to triumph through the world. There's going to be some from every tongue and tribe and nation on that great day. But we are in a battle <clears throat> and we have to completely fix our hope on the return of Jesus Christ, not on what happens here. We battle, we will win, but the fact of the matter is our hope has to be fixed completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? If not, you'll get tired of the battle and you'll want to quit. You'll want to quit and you'll want to say, why should I stand here and keep taking it on the chin? you'll get like Psalm 73 or 37. Why should I continue to be righteous when all those wicked people are having a good time? They don't struggle, remember? Through the ages, that's been the cry. Why go on? Why should I suffer? I have to have all the sufferings that everybody has, right? Get sick and old and die. And now I've got to be persecuted for being holy. At least at least when I was a pagan it was almost tolerable. I could get drunk. You know, I could get high, I could try to forget, but now as a Christian I can't do that. Why? Because we're called to be holy like him who's called us. If you address as a father, the one who's impartial, then you know what? Clean up your act. We of all people again should be holy. You address his Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now that doesn't mean that you go around long-faced, but it does mean that you're sober and that you take things seriously and that you really are pressing on toward holiness. Why? Because you were not bought, beloved, by some cheap little thing. You were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Pound that into your head and heart. I've been bought by the blood. It cost Jesus his blood. Now, here, back to the victim theme, under suffering, to be a victor. What were you redeemed from? Sin, yes, but particularly how is it described? Someone tell me. From the. From the. No? From the corruption, okay, but. Verse 18, knowing that you're redeemed with per- from your futile way of life that you what? Inherited from your forefathers. I'll take a little window here. I don't want to take a lot of time. One of the greatest psychological themes that's coming out of secular world and is coming into the church is this. If you had a father that didn't love you, you'll never be able to love God. Right? <clears throat> if you were molested, you'll become a molester. Right? If you are abused, why? Because you have inherited a feudal lifestyle from your forefathers. What are you done? You're stuck with it, right? Here, there's the heart of it. That little precious verse says what? You've been redeemed from the feudal lifestyle that you inherited from your forefathers. There is freedom from the past. You are not a victim and locked into the past. The gospel explodes that, and this doesn't say you're going to be saved from hell to be in heaven forever, but until then, man, you're stuck. You're stuck with being whatever you've been raised to be. Wrong. You've been redeemed from that with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished in spot, the blood of Christ. There He is, for He was foreknown. Christ is salvation for you. Isn't that exciting? You've been saved. Such a great salvation. You can rejoice in that salvation. And that ought to spur us like so many uh, recruits in the army of Christ, to be ready, to be diligent. When you wake up in the morning, the first thought ought to be, Father, let me live my life for you in holiness today out of gratitude for Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me me be aware. You know why I blow it so much? Because I'm so forgetful. I get back into that mentality like, Everybody's going to love me. And everybody's going to treat me with respect. And people won't cut me off on the freeway. And they will bless me instead of cursing me. <clears throat> you know, and, uh, and my kids won't be like me. They'll be like mom, you know, or something. <laughs> you know, it <clears throat> doesn't happen that way. See, when you start thinking like that, all of a sudden, boom, you're back in the battle. You're down on the deck. And Satan is on top of you, and you can breathe the sulfur, and you can smell his vileness, and you say, "How do I get down here again?" <clears throat> <clears throat> it's like a wrestler who has the guy who keeps using the same move on him again and again and again, and he keeps to end up on his back, pinned. Oh yeah, he used that on me yesterday. <clears throat> no, <clears throat> no, I teasingly say this. Okay, I may be Italian, but I'm not dumb. Okay, all those Italian jokes. Look, if I can figure this out, certainly Satan can figure this out, right? If he has a tactic that works on you, do you think he's going to stop? I have people come in all the time who are caught in certain sins, pornography or other things, and you know they come back and go, well, well he's still attacking me. And I go, well, Yeah. I mean why why is he going to tempt you to steal when this works so well? <laughs> oh yeah, that does make sense, doesn't it? This is warfare. Okay? We have to be ready, okay? And then finally the last thing in this chapter, I'll close this out, is verses twenty two through twenty five. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brothers, Fervently love one another from the heart. Now, that's going to come back up again later in the book. One of the key things of living the Christian life is fervently in love with the brethren. Huh? La Miranda, Beverly, Bavia, fervently in love with them. Yeah. Fervently in love one another from the heart. <clears throat> For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding Word of God. The Bible is the agent of the Holy Spirit to make you new. For, and then he quotes Isaiah, for all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers; the flowers fall off, but the Word of the Lord abides forever. <clears throat> and this is the Word which was preached to you. Beloved, your success in this battle of suffering is proportionate to your love of and being in the Word of God. If you pump yourself up with pop psychology and pop sociology and the latest fads of what makes a person grow, guess what? Your flowers will wither and fall off and there you will stand like a barren twig. Or to put in another analogy, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, If you build on Christ, you'll be saved, but all your works will be burned up as by fire. If you don't build with the lasting mortar and brick of the Word of God, you won't be holy. How in the world can you be brought back to a love for Christ? How can you learn the tactics of winning in spiritual warfare if you're not in the Word of God? The Word of man fades, it's that simple. And I don't understand why Reformed people who have been weaned on the sovereignty of God and the character of God want to substitute it with some shabby man-made substitute. The fervency and love for people will come also from your love for the Word of God. Read 1 John chapter 5. What's the love of God? The love of His commandments. And the love of the brethren is the commandments. It comes back again and again to the Word of God. This Word is powerful. This Word is dynamite. This Word will explode <clears throat> and literally begin to take away the dross okay, in this process. So here's, here's the... God turns up the heat providentially in suffering. <clears throat> what will continue to make you solid and purify and stay the Word of God. It's got to be back in the Word of God. Now, <clears throat> I'd ask you, it's important to do that. It's basic ABC stuff. And let me tell you a story before I ask you. When I went to Harmony, New Jersey, it was, I was intrigued. They had one of the most godly men that I ever met and, uh, in Lou Grotenhouse. Wonderful pastor. <clears throat> but I found something, and I don't say I'm blaming Lou, and I don't mean that by that. Uh, I found a very interesting phenomenon. I asked people two things when I started going around visiting them as a new pastor. I asked them, one, how they became a Christian, and two, how their walk with the Lord was going. And do you know what the response I got from most of the people there? You would have thought I was talking about their sex life. <clears throat> people responded like I was probing into an area that was just off limits. I was astounded. It really, it was—it was—it was like, why would you ask me that? Yeah, yeah, none of your business, right? You know, we laugh at this. <coughs> I don't laugh at this anymore. I have a lot of Korean students at Westminster. <coughs> you know, and the typical Eastern-Western thing is we say, you know, Orientals like to save face. You know, and, come on, Americans like to save face too. They don't want to be exposed <coughs> the depth of their heart. The reason I want to know that is because I know the only, the abiding Word of God is going to have lasting effect in a person's life. Now, that isn't just mechanically memorizing, but it is meditating on the Word of God and living it out. You know, we really have to become convinced as Reformed people that the Word of God is sufficient and powerful and anything else will be burned away. Only the abiding Word of God will last. Okay, some thoughts. Here's what we have in this chapter. I'll wrap it up and then I'll make again two or three applications. We have such a great salvation that even in the midst of suffering and even in the midst of pressure, we ought to be happy most of the time. We should weep with those that weep. But we ought to be rejoicing more and more. I've got this fantastic salvation. It's been purchased by the blood of Christ. It's kept in heaven. It's something that angels and prophets, they want to look into. This is something that's so phenomenal that I have that I ought to be grateful for it and love the Lord Jesus Christ for producing it and giving it to me. Thank you. We also ought to then say, okay, if this is the case, and I know suffering and persecution are coming, I better get ready. I better get trained. I better get my life in order. I better be sober. I better be diligent. I better be thinking in these terms because Satan is not going to give me a break. And if I'm ever going to get rid of the futile lifestyle that I have inherited from my forefathers, I've really got to begin to, to focus on the salvation, and I've got to feed on the Word of God. Now that ought to mean, <coughs> beloved, <coughs> that you can go into your life, and look at your life and schedule. How much time is spent in prayer and Bible reading? <coughs> we really get put to shame, in a sense, by people who don't always know as much as we do at the Scriptures. And it really does intrigue me that here we believe in a sovereign God, we really believe in His electing grace, and we believe that the Gospel cannot be thwarted, and at times we don't witness the way our many friends do. Isn't that intriguing? They actually expect something to happen. And we don't. There are navigators. You know, and they're not perfect by any means. The Nav Press puts out some pretty miserable stuff. Not as bad as IV Press or others these days, but still they do some good stuff like Jerry Bridges. But we have navigators that are memorizing massive amounts of Scripture and using it to disciple other people. Now I think we ought to be humble enough as Reformed people to realize that we're not perfect. And even though we know more about God's character than most people, sometimes we don't live up to it. So we really ought to sit down and take stock and say, if I've got this wonderful salvation over which I can always rejoice and it means I ought to change my life and really focus it around the abiding word of, of the Lord. Two or three observations, then we end. <clears throat> Unless there's questions. We can always ask questions in this time also. First of all, you should be overwhelmed by grace and gratitude, not circumstances. If God doesn't change, and His salvation doesn't change, why should we be like emotional yo-yos? Winter. <clears throat> Even though a lot of the original missionaries were Calvinistic, and we believe that God doesn't fail, most of us would run home, right? Some of those pioneer missionaries didn't have converts for 40 years. 40 years. We would, chose, we would sh- shut up a church plant, wouldn't we? 40 years, no converts? We'd either take the guy and say, he should have never been ordained. <laughs> Something's wrong with him. Or, you know, go somewhere else, right? 40 years. They didn't give up. Why? Because God never fails. Circumstances should not dictate the way we live. Our Lord should. Second major observation, which I've said before, I'll just summarize it again. You ought to be motivated toward holiness. Man, if you're so grateful, you ought to go, okay, Lord, how can I change? <clears throat> how can I? Most of us don't even want to change our clothes when someone asks us to. Right? let alone change the way we think or our behavior. But if it's dis-pleasing, displeasing to the Lord, get rid of it. Seriously. How many times do we cling to things like kids clinging to an old blanket? Yeah, there's something really nice about your old blanket that you grew up with, right? <clears throat> yeah, But when you're 35, 40, or 50, you know, still holding on to this old blanket, it gets pretty tattered. You know? <clears throat> Give it up. Why don't we want to give it up? Because it makes us comfortable, right? Right? No, we ought to be willing to give up all for the Lord. And lastly, we should love the Word as we love God. Now again, I don't know whether this is uh, true or just told. I imagine it's probably true. But I've heard that there were a couple times that Francis Schaeffer in talking told people uh, that... Sometimes he he was just so overwhelmed with gratitude for the Word of God, he would just sort of like pick up his Bible and hold it and sort of pat it, you know, just hug his Bible. To be so grateful to have the Word of God. We want to be people who are people of the Word. Uh, I keep saying I'll end on this, but there's a verse that's very interesting. I use it a lot in counseling. Deuteronomy 29.29 The hidden things are for the Lord, but the things that are revealed are for us and our children that we might live by them. Christians are people of the book. We don't try to mess with providence. We don't try to mess like the occult. You know what's the occult? Really is the attempt to figure out what has been fated to happen, right? And then you run around like a chicken with your head chopped off trying to prevent it. That's playing God. Only God knows the future, and only God can change it. God simply calls us to walk by faith. So beloved, you have such a great salvation. What do you like? What do you like? Environmentalists go up and hug trees. They're so grateful for the environment. Are you so grateful for the word of God? You know When you see it in there,) <clears throat> You know, pastors ought to get overwhelmed at the door. That great American tradition, Dwight's going through it. You stand at the door and you shake hand with people. I think it's not too bad, but he used to always get me, <clears throat> nice sermon, pastor. That was really good. <clears throat> and I always used to think, what do you mean? I was just preaching on repentance. How can you <laughs> be saying this was real good? I had one guy that we, we worked out a deal. He would duck. He'd get to the door and he'd go, ouch. You know, that was his way of saying, I got the point. Right? The Word of God. Pastors should be standing at the door and you know what really ought to be happening? People ought to be flocking around them afterwards saying, "You know, what about this? What about that? How do I do this? How do I do that? Have I got this straight? Did I really understand you? As if their very life depended on that Word. In fact, Beloved, in Reformed churches, we ought to be taking our shoes off. We ought to have the sense that we're on holy ground because God is speaking to us. Now I'm rambling now and I realize it, but that's okay. <coughs> I've noticed with some of my charismatic friends that are at least open to the Reformed faith, <coughs> I talk with them. You know, it's the most intriguing thing. Even in charismatic circles, which are supposedly have God speaking directly, there's no, thus saith the Lord. Sermons are pious advice, and you only get it when God speaks to you through tongues or whatever.
1: And the
0: better charismatics will admit that's not on a par with Scripture. So if that revelation is always mm, questionable, you know, up to the, it might be right or wrong, and you don't get, thus saith the Lord in sermons, guess what? Nobody ever walks away hearing God speak. And in our churches, We ought to go away every Sunday with people in awe because they've heard God speak. And when God speaks, we have a great salvation that cannot be ripped from us and that ought to change us. Let's pray. Father, Peter's really beginning to set us up for the real meat of the book of how practically to handle persecution and come out smelling like Jesus Christ. That's not easy at all. But in his setting us up, he has reminded us of the most important thing. We have something so fantastic, so valuable, that money cannot buy it. Only the blood of Jesus Christ could buy it. And that, Lord, we ought to be grateful people, holy people, who love your Word and and feast on that Word because we know it's that Word that is the solidity of our life. Everything built upon it and you Will last everything that isn't will be burnt up in that great day. Lord, help us to become people that are holy, <clears throat> people that are really committed to living out this great salvation. And Lord, as we go on to learn about our great calling and our uh, the great gifts that you give to us to get through this persecution and suffering, may we be grateful people and truly, Lord, may our churches be transformed so that they might be filled and that more might be started and that Lord the Southern California area as someone has recently said that this is like plowing concrete to preach the gospel here that we might see the most unlikely place the porno capital of the United States Lord where probably as many abortions if not more than elsewhere are done that Lord God we might see Lord that this place Shaken, not by earthquakes, but by the word of the living God, so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. Lord God, please have mercy upon us. Pour out your Spirit upon us. Bless us in our fellowship this afternoon and all that we do. And uh, may we be grateful in Christ's name. Amen.